This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com. Hey everyone, I'm Robin Hilton from NPR Music, and today I'm excited to share the next installment of NPR's new season of Louder Than a Riot with you. This season, Louder Than a Riot is digging into the unwritten rules of rap and the rule breakers who refuse to play nice. In this episode, they sit down with Miami legends Trina and Trick Daddy to get the real story behind the making of their classic song, Nan. It's a story that reveals how Trina brought sexual agency and creative autonomy to a genre where women were often reduced to role-playing misogynistic male fantasies. This is the story of how Trina gave birth to a generation of rappers, from Megan the Stallion to City Girls to Lotto. And just a quick note that this episode is more explicit than usual, so please be advised. A warning before we begin. This podcast is explicit in every way. And this episode includes profane language and descriptions of sex. Hide your kids. I was at one of my friends' house. And we were just hanging out. We just always hang out. And Trick called. This is Trina. The Miami rapper goes by many names. The baddest bitch. Diamond princess. Trina rock star. And when we sat down with her in Miami, we asked her about this one night in 1998 that set her on the path to earning all those titles. He happened to call my friend, and her name is Janie. She was the one answered the phone for him. And he was like, what you guys doing? And she was like, oh, we're just hanging out, chilling. He said, come to the studio. And so I'm in the background like, for what? On the other end of the line was Trick Daddy Dallas, Miami-Dade mainstay, and a friend of Trina's from her Liberty City neighborhood. He was like, who is that, Trina? He, she was like, yeah, he was like, put her on the phone so I get on the phone. And then he was like, man, y'all come to the studio now. I got something I want you to do. I, w- I was like, what is it? He was like, just come, just come. It's like, I can't explain it. Now, when Trina and the rest of her girls pulled up, Trick was kicking it in the studio with a bunch of dudes. We know all the guys, so it's like it's always family. It was a family thing, so it was cool. And then he goes, come in the studio. I want you to hear something. And we go in the studio, and he plays the Nan record. Then he was like, I want you to get on the record. Now, I'm thinking, oh, maybe I'm going to say, you know, it's Trina yeah. or something like, what's up, it's Trina. My Just a real little light intro-y thing, you know, a little skit, a back and forth. He goes, um, he, so he, he goes, he plays his, his verse, his eight bars, and then he goes, now I need you to come in right here. And I was like, listen, I, I was like, play what you said again? And then I was like, and what am I supposed to say? <laughs> At first, she didn't want to do the record. And I was like, Trina, you got to do the record. That's Trick. Trick had already laid down a verse on Nan that had some out-of-pocket thugged out bounce to it. Exactly what the Dade County mayor was known for. Like, he was running through a whole clique of baddies, killing a man, and then buying rounds for everyone in the club afterwards. But still, it wasn't enough to set the track apart. He wanted it to be a call and response. And for that, 
He needed somebody he could go toe-to-toe with. He want me to, like, be combative with him. Go, like, girl versus guy. And I got to... I gotta like kill him in my park. He was like, and it gotta be nasty. You just gotta talk and da da He was just saying all this stuff. Yeah, Trick was not letting up. And she was like, I don't know how to rap. I said, we're not rapping. I was like, all we're gonna do is be ourselves. And I was like, just be you, cuss me out. After all that, Trina was gassed up enough to give it a shot. Now, there's a lot of studio sessions that have become hip hop legend. The wet and wild Miami anthem Nanigat is definitely one of them. So much so that the story of his making has been told a million different ways. And usually giving credit to Trick Daddy as the one who wrote the raunchiest parts of Trina's iconic clapback. But this is how Trina tells it to us. We were the only ones in the studio. Just me and my friends. I made him get out. I was nervous. I didn't want to do it in front of him. So I just had the girls in there like, so if I sounded crazy, they could be like, nah, that's lame. You ain't going to say that. You got to say it like this. So that was like my energy with my friends. And they just wow. So they was ready. With all the guys gone, they got to work thinking of the nastiest, hardest lyrics they could to outdo Trick's verse. And so I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm not saying it. It was like, yeah, you got to say that. I was like, no, I'm going to say this. No, say this. And I was like, mm, should I say this? That's too nasty. It was like, no, that's perfect. I, I, my friends, I have the nine of fivers and I have the all-nighters. So in the balance of both of them, there you go. That's how the verse came. Running it back on studio speakers, she had the guys come back in and listen. So when Trick came in and Corey and all the guys, Ross, everybody, um, they went crazy. Man, this joint was so far, it got Trina a record deal that night. And she wasn't even looking for one. This song was the start of Trina's career. A career that would have a lasting impact on hip-hop. Because even though she didn't know it right then, she wasn't just speaking for herself and a couple of girlfriends. I, I was raw, unapologetic. I stood on what I meant. I believe in who I am. The game didn't make me. I made the game. I made it. That's why I breed a whole universe of bad bitches. I'm Cindy Madden. I'm Rodney Carmichael. And from NPR Music, this is Louder Than a Riot. Where we confront the double standard that's become the standard. On every episode this season, we tackle one unwritten rule of hip-hop that holds the entire culture back. And one that a new generation of rap refuses to stand for. From the moment she stepped in the game, Trina was pushing P in ways nobody ever heard before. She raised the bar on raunchy lyrics and put Miami hip-hop on the map. But birthing a whole universe of bad bitches didn't always come easy. As Trina was wiping her Gucci pumps on dusty old stereotypes about black women's sexuality, rap's old guard was constantly trying to drag her through more dirt, reducing baddie bars to the pejorative of pussy rap without hearing the real message. It's still a double standard because we can say this, that, and the other, and this could be sexual, whatever, and it's a look down upon. But the guys say the same thing, and everybody's celebrating it. 
On this episode, rule number four. It ain't tricking if you got it. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. Your next trip is closer than you think with the Venture Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. Is it possible to engineer our way out of the climate crisis? Some entrepreneurs want to shoot particles into the stratosphere to combat global warming. Experts say regulations on this technology aren't keeping up. The world of solar geoengineering on the latest episode of The Sunday Story from NPR's Up First podcast. From your car radio to your smart speaker, NPR meets you where you are in a lot of different ways. Now we're in your pocket. Download the NPR app today. There's just something about Miami. The vibrancy, the Caribbean flavor, the heat, where humidity from the swamplands mingles with the sweat of the nightclubs, only to be washed away by salt water and frozen liquor. As the plastic surgery capital of America, it's a place where sexy reigns supreme. One of the only places, as Trina says, you can go to the supermarket in nothing but a bikini and not get looked at sideways. And it's where everyone else comes to play and tap into their sexy. Let their freak flags fly. And the hip-hop this city has given us definitely reflects that energy. When we flew down south to meet up with Trina, before even speaking, she reminded us why she is the baddest bitch. She pulled up to the Slip and Slide Studios in a burnt orange Rolls Royce Wraith, making us look super broke in our Toyota Corolla Uber. And she agreed to start the interview only after she got a full face beat, ate her delivered soul food, and got all the sauce off her neon acrylic nails. Once we settled in, she laughed while reminiscing about what happened after she laid down her verse on Nan all those years ago. Okay, let's talk about it. (laughs) In the summer of 1998, Nan Nigga dropped as the lead single off Trick Daddy's album. And Trina didn't know it was such a big deal until the night Trick invited her to his birthday party. Get to the birthday party. We're in like this little VIP little thing in the back. And Trick is about to go in and perform. Okay, we're gonna, I'm behind the curtains. I'm standing up here with my girls. We stand up there. We bopping this up. Trina and her girls were running up the table tab. And they had the whole VIP section going up for Trick. But then Trick's team interrupted them. Then they said, came and said, we're going to bring you up to do now. I was like, no, I'm not going to go out here in this club in front of these people and do this song. Even though she laid the verse, it never occurred to her she'd actually have to perform it. She had never done that before. And it was like, yes, you are. Come on, you got this out. And I was like, oh, no. 
And this is his birthday party. They was like, oh, you can't let him down. It's his birthday party. Everybody's here. It's a big old thing. These girls going to be waiting. They're going to love it. And I remember when the song was coming up. I, I think I had, like, the most anxiety. Because, like, this is the first time I'm going to be in a... This place was packed. This was a big moment for Trick. He was bubbling out of control. And he was up on stage performing his songs, acting like the king of the city. Then... The beat for Nan dropped. And they played the song. Now he's doing his part. The hook comes on. Now I can hear when it's time for my part. I did not step to out the behind the curtain. Trina's friends didn't want her to miss her moment. They literally pushed her through the curtain onto the stage. I did not say one word. My eyes was closed. I was so nervous. I didn't say nothing. I was just standing there. All I could hear was every word for word from the girls in the club. I was terrified, screaming it, screaming it, screaming. It felt like I was, I I don't even know where I was at. The girls in the club were so hyped to see Trina. It didn't even matter that she wasn't rapping. They were rapping her verse for her. Trina smiles as she remembers their faces now. Those girls helped check off her stage fright because she saw in their faces what her lyrics were doing to them, smashing the culture of shame around women's pursuit of pleasure. She saw the joy and the power it gave them, and something really clicked. She knew she could work with this. From there, Trina was thrust onto a year-long tour with Trick, doing nah night after night after night. I mean, we're going into 1999, and the whole 99, we was on a tour. So I was just on the road, working, doing the song. So at that moment, it was always Trina screaming. The girls was going crazy. We traveled everywhere, all over the world, and it would be the same reaction from girls. It doesn't matter what race, what size, what color. Everybody screamed. I'm talking about all the way in Tokyo, mm. Japan. Like, everywhere you go, they were, like, addicted to this verse and this record. It was just beautiful women everywhere, like, crying. And Well, I want to talk about the reactions. Like you're saying, like, you went all over the world and you could tell how people were locked in and really feeling this verse. Not just because it was... Raunchy Not just because it was yeah. raunchy. Mm-hmm. It was also just, like, a point of, like, eureka sexual liberation mm-hmm. on a whole nother level. level. Fuck five, six best friends? Yeah. <laughs> Who was saying that? I got that from my... <laughs> but, but that's what I'm saying. But I'm saying, like, you weren't afraid to say no, it. No, because I was like, I'm going to be like, yeah, mess with one or two. She was like, girl, that's not enough. And I was thinking, is it just us that has this mindset? Are my friends just way out of control? Like, that was that was my first thing. And then once the record came out, I was like, well, all these girls is out of control. <laughs> Everybody's out of control because... Even if this is not your story in your life and you've, you haven't even talked to five or six different people in life, you are saying this with conviction, you know? So it was beyond the sexual part. It was just, I think it was more like just that woman, that girl, like, like that beastie of it, of like, I'm just finna tell it like it is and say what I got to say. We talked to a certified Trina scholar to break down where that conviction comes from. The only way I can categorize how I felt as an adult when I first heard Trina's Nan verse is that 
I understood in that moment that I could either like be the kind of girl that like people expected me to be and like wanted me to be, or I could just do what the fuck I wanted to do. Mm. And like, I was like, oh, I think I want to do what the fuck I want to do. Like, period. <laughs> Cecily Bowen is the author of Bad Fat Black Girl Notes from a Trap Feminist and the host of Purse First, a podcast about the girls and the gays in rap. I think. When we talk about how sexuality is, like, denied for women, and I think particularly for black women, it's this idea that it it starts so young that we just don't even get to consider that sex or, like, our sexuality is something that we can really enjoy and, like, Enjoy experiencing, enjoy developing, enjoy exploring, defining. Almost immediately is just really meant not to exist. This denial of women's sexuality makes sense, given the way men are assumed power in society and taught that their gratification is what should be prioritized. And for Black women specifically, this denial goes deeper because of adultification bias and stereotypes like the Jezebel that render Black women and girls as promiscuous deviants only existing in service of men's sexual needs. There is a freedom in sexuality, in, like, sexual expression, just like in creative expression or intellectual expression, you know, in dance, body expression, what you know, whatever kind of, like, expression that there is to have, like, I think the sexual language is right up there. And the assumption for so long is that that is a freedom that only, like, men have gotten to experience. And those freedoms are not only reinforced in hip-hop, they're glorified and rewarded. A lot of the ways that men in hip-hop talk about sex is essentially representative of how they've already achieved the freedom that they seek from those heteronormative ideas because they relish in the fact that they can fuck who they want when they want, period. And and bet not nobody question them about it, right? Trina's verse on that completely changed the narrative, though, and showed that freedom off to women, told them to hope for it. She wanted to keep that same energy on her debut album, too. Like, what am I going to do? This is a whole album. This is not just a record. It's not a verse. This is a real thing. Now, what am I going to do? I got to captivate all these women that are screaming. But Trina was a brand new artist, and she needed help getting these thoughts into the shape of an album. So she called on the guys who knew what they were doing. The first album, the label was all involved. We was all in the studio. Everybody was there. Like, we was trying to create records. They had all these producers. Everybody sending me different kind of stuff. And um, I remember... This is new for me, so I'm all ears. Any any suggestions you guys got, let's just do it. Unless it's something I totally feel uncomfortable about, I'll I'll be like, hmm. But I didn't have that, really. It was just all about a whole team building, myself, Trick, Ross, Trey Plus Six, everybody on the label, because they're they're creating me now. Like, this is the girl from the the only girl on Slip and Slide, and we got this big deal with Atlanta. We got to make this got to be right. One of the biggest influences on the album was Trick Daddy. He knew what the streets wanted. If Kim and Foxy were mixing their film for Tile sex appeal with New York attitude, Trick knew the secret to Trina Sauce had to be repping the South to the fullest. So he told her, straight up. I said, Trina, the only way you can compete with this shit is you got to go straight Miami. If you stick to your shit, 
be able to hold a conversation that sound exactly how you sound on your record. That's exactly what she did. Trina dropped her debut album, The Baddest Bitch, in 2000. The Baddest Bitch came out, and it was just like, The Baddest Bitch. That's a title I aspire to. Like, mm. that, that term, bad bitch, to me is a direct result of Trina's impact, among other things. Like, truly the blueprint. Truly the blueprint for the girls. The blueprint is right. Because the point of the song is not just to be raunchy. Trina was giving game. Because to her, it wasn't just about promoting sexual freedom, but financial freedom, too. Those two ideals were intertwined. Okay, let's start with, I got game for you young hoes. Don't grow to be a dumb hoe. That's a no-no. See, if you off the chain, stay ahead of the game. Save up, buy a condo. Set a pussy by the grands and a bunch you on the bins. Another week, you set a rims. Like, I got game for you young hoes. Don't grow to be a dumb hoe. That's a no-no. See, if you off the chain, stay ahead of the game. Save up, buy a condo. Sell a pussy by the grands and a bunch you on the bins. Another week, you set a rims. It's literally like the building blocks. It was it's like a financial class. It was like set a goal. He was like, don't be an idiot. Set a goal for yourself. Work to attain that, but also like the people you are fucking should be helping you attain that. Set a high price so that you can reach the goal faster. And then throw a little something extra and get you some rims on that bitch. There's something so methodical about that recipe for like success that is she she made it sound so simple to set you up on square one the broke nigga has to like exit the equation as an album the baddest bitch kicked in the door she had pearl clutcher's extra pressed and Freeco's flocking yeah it was booty based from a woman's point of view and coming from Miami at a time where Uncle Luke and Two Live Crew were basically using women as props to sell album covers, and Trina refused to be used as an accessory. Mm-hmm. She was breaking out of the boxes that women in rap had been put into, refusing to teeter on some Madonna horse seesaw. She toppled that thing over completely. And the real key to her titillating wordplay... She never let anyone else dictate her worth. Okay. But as she got more comfortable as an artist, Trina wanted to grow, to rap about topics besides her sexual prowess. It was an obvious shift away from the original raw image, but it wasn't a shift away from what Trina naturally liked. It was about being nasty as she wanted to be, when she wanted to be. I just wanted to challenge myself to see if I could do different than the baddest. I just wanted to... I wanted different sounds. I wanted to try just different stuff that I wouldn't have normally tried from the first album because I didn't even know to try it. I didn't know the tempo was going to change. I didn't know my mindset was going to change. So Trina started experimenting a little bit and working with other producers like Missy Elliott, Just Blaze, Kanye West, and in between flexing joints like Be All Right. She dabbled with getting vulnerable and introspective over soul samples. Me and you, Trina, 
partner who asked these same questions. We decided when and which hoes we could fuck with, shop with, club with, get into some thug shit. Turn them on the niggas who was deep into that drug shit. Get money, fuck them. Katrina knew the guys at the label would not understand that. They would be like, fiending, what are you doing? Let us hear the records. Don't come with all these R&B slow records. So I, I stopped them from listening to the music. I would just record the songs, put them together, and then let them hear the songs. But she couldn't keep quiet when she was cooking up forever. Once it got closer to me turning my album in, we did like a studio in session. So I would let the owner, Ted, come, a couple of guys that work at the label, my people, everybody, and um, we would play the records. And... Um, everybody would just voice their opinion of what they like, what they don't like, whatever, whatever. And I would just sit there and listen, taking all the notes, taking all the stuff. Taking in all this feedback from a room full of guys, Trina saw her perspective and her artistic vision were not being taken seriously. And then I started having, like, this thing where I got to make sure I stand on what I believe. Like, my say-so got to matter. If I don't like it or love it, I'm not doing it. Nobody's not going to force me to do nothing I don't want to do. Nothing. I'm not going to do it because it's going to please you. If I don't really feel it, I'm not going to do it. That was the, once I overcame that, nothing else, it, nothing could phase me because I was in control. It's my narrative. I'm going to control it. Choosing when and where she wanted to be sexual, that's the liberation that gave her agency. That's how she cemented herself, to be bigger than one verse, one song, one album. So she broke the mold with her sophomore release, Diamond Princess. Yo, I'm a diamond in the rough. See, I rose from the slum. In Liberty City, we like nowhere to run. The game's on you till you stand on your own. Doing her own thing on Diamond Princess was an even bigger flip of the script than fans even knew. Because growing her sound also meant outgrowing the person who first put her on. They was only used to this one thing, this one lane, the trick daddy lane, the, the hood, the raw, the, that's the lane. Everybody came out that way. Trick is a whole thug. I'm not a thug, okay? I, I don't want to be a thug. I never wanted to be a thug. So Trick's going to do his thing, and I'm going to do my thing. But nothing's ever quite that simple, especially when it comes to Trick that. So how much time do we have to talk? Fast. How long y'all need? We need an hour, man. Yo, ain't nothing to talk about in the whole hour. Yeah, we 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 going I in depth. I give good answers. You're not gonna need an hour. You can... We going in depth. We want stories, man. This is how Trick Daddy Dollars welcomes us to his humble abode, and actually, it's anything but. A neighborhood located in the Miramar section of Miami, full of suburban mini mansions and palm trees. It looks like the rest haven where Florida rappers go to live the dream. Apparently, Uncle Luke stays a couple of streets over. Inside Trick's house, there's a Scarface sized aquarium and a life sized mural of rap's favorite fictional drug lord hanging on the wall. But Trick's the king of this castle. Admonishing his pit bulls one second, talking trash to his girlfriend in the kitchen the next. No doubt, the creator of Nan comes exactly as advertised. But this wasn't about him. It was about Trina. How do you describe you and Trina's relationship? You said she's your little sister, but tell Trina us- like my little sister, but Trina is, both of us is obnoxious, not very obnoxious, right? Both of us is high-natured freaks. 
We have arguments about everything. Brothers and sisters argue about everything. We argue about everything. I mean, but it's like, did you? You can't argue with her. I can argue with her. You better not say nothing to her. Their relationship was actually cemented long before rap. Back when Trina dated Trick's older brother, Hollywood. Trina was still in high school when Hollywood got murdered. And Trick, he was in prison at the time on some drug-related charges. And losing someone they both loved, it sealed their bond. Just like real siblings. It changed the trajectory of both of their lives, too. But even after all their shared success, Trick and Trina still argue like brother and sister. And nothing between them is more contentious than Trina's second album, Diamond Princess. I have nothing to do with the Diamond Princess. I don't like the Diamond Princess. Why not? I took Because the baddest bitch, everybody could be the baddest bitch. Everybody can't be the Diamond Princess, and I always told her that. So with the Diamond Princess is somebody that's all uh, glitz and glamour, you know, high-end high clothes, high-profile boyfriends, but the baddest bitch, the baddest bitch can be a bitch who got a set, who not a wallow. The baddest bitch can be a bitch who do fraud. Everybody, anybody can be the baddest bitch. How did it feel to have to, um, like, see her grow in a different direction creatively than what you thought she should go in? She started hanging around new people. She changed her management team, and they was, they was on some you, 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 and I'm telling her, us, us, us. Because us is more powerful than you, you, you. Now these weren't just creative differences they were having. What Trick was seeing in Trina was growth, autonomy. The baddest bitch was blossoming into her own boss. And the best thing Trick could do was move out the way. I don't know, I don't know if she ever went in a different direction. I just know that the people around her never wanted her to share none of her um, fame, none of her stardom with me for some reason. I'm going to tell you how big it was, how deep it was. Two months after Nan came out, I had a big show lined up. Trina took my hype man, my DJ, my security, because she had a show. I was sitting there, couldn't go to my show. But weren't y'all performing together? She, this was her first show. Her management was separate from mine. They were so excited that she was getting bookings without even having an album out that they went ahead and booked the show and they asked my DJ and my management and my team, would they go with her? Yeah, we'll go with her. Man, just go and show us what to do. And it's to the point where now, it's like, you go on in the aisle. I say, go on well. With who? With who? Who gonna hype me? Who gonna be my DJ? And they, they looked around like, oh, shit. My bad, bro. That's how fast it happened. I think Trina's trajectory is different because of the fact that she eclipsed the person that kind of like, to, like totally made her. That's Shanita Hubbard, a professor and hip-hop journalist. I think Trina should get more credit for the fact that in order to be able to eclipse Trick Daddy, she had to make a pivot. She had to pour into herself away and pour into her career some more. She'll be in an interview and you don't hear her even talk about a man sometimes. Sometimes she just straight up just talking about her career, talking shit. She has no problem centering herself fully, right? Showing up for herself fully. And that feels like her giving herself her own flowers. Trina giving herself flowers for being able to change up her creative direction for being able to pour into herself, 
that's not just a rare opportunity for a rapper. It's rare for a lot of black women, period. Especially those who get trapped and tripped up in the ride-or-die trope. Shanita wrote a whole book about it called Ride or Die, a feminist manifesto for the well-being of black women. The ride or die is the one that does everything and everyone for everyone else, right? She gives love with no expectation of reciprocity. She gives labor with no expectation of reciprocity. She gives of herself until there's nothing left to give. This is unique to black women because we're the ramifications of the implications and ramifications of mass incarceration, right? Um, systemic racism and how we're shut out, right, and the impact and the way that impacts our family and the way that impacts our finances has caused a lot of black women, a lot of to be matriarchs, whether they want it to or not, right? This is what black womanhood looks like, right? Black womanhood looks like giving everything to everyone because, you know, holding the whole community and everybody down on our back. This is what black motherhood looks like, being the absolute most for your child and doing, this is what good, quote unquote, good mothering looks like if you're exhausted and there's no social life, right? So we start to see these things modeled and then we start to internalize it and it is really embedded, it's really celebrated in our culture, right? Mm, that part. And nowhere is the ride or die trope more celebrated than in rap. I like to rock product suits in my stash and bag. I need a ride or die chick. I push the Cadillac truck with my friends in the back. I need a ride or die chick. And every dog is a down ass bitch. Feel me? Every dog is a lady. Baby, I'll be there. You might have it. Sound like it's supposed to be the old three Bonnie and Clyde, Hove and B. Like, those standards are not expected from men, right? To, to be called our king, you don't have to be down for whatever, right? To be mm. called our king. And this is kind of laced all throughout so many different hip-hop songs. We could probably go back and forth over and over and talk about the different languages that's used to reinforce the same trope. The idea that women are nothing without a man, that women need to be put on, guided, protected, even the expectation that women in rap will always be less than the man who put them on, Trina transcended all of that, and that was her prerogative. She elevated and evolved while Trick stayed street. And even though Trina and Trick have stayed down like four flats over the years, collaborating on a half-finished album, a morning radio show, and a storyline on reality TV's Love and Hip Hop Miami, it doesn't take much to this day for Trick to be reminded that Trina is not the ride-or-die chick sculpted in his image. Sitting there in the sunken living room of his crib, it started to become clear how he really feels about that. Let's start by talking about this recent BT Hip Hop Awards. BT Hip Hop Awards, I didn't get a, I didn't get an award. Did you notice that? We did. I'd never been nominated for an award on BT. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. And I was really mad at BT until they gave Trina her award because ain't no sugar in my blood, ain't no pussy, ain't pressed, ain't friendly, ain't lonely for no attention. As long as they gave her her flowers while she was living, that's good enough for me, too. That's like they gave me an award. As much as Trick might see Trina's award as something he can lay claim to, the truth is, he doesn't own her success. And this is something they fought about countless times before. 
One of those times was caught on camera during a Love and Hip Hop reunion episode. There was that clip on Love and Hip Hop reunion where you said, without Trick, there would be no motherfucking Trina. And she called you out for that. No, that was me calling her out. She listened to the wrong people. They don't know nothing about music. Listen to the one that, that, that got you in the position you in, the one that helped you, who told you that this would work. Don't listen to them. So from, from that point on, she was mad. And she said something like, I must be scared because on one song, she, her verse was harder than mine. And I was like, girl, it wasn't for Trick, it wouldn't be no trainer. But my, my, my whole thing was, Trina, listen to me. Don't listen to them. They don't know what the fuck they talking about. The thing, the thing I think about that that comment that you made on the reunion <coughs> show is like for a lot of people, I think it confirmed a lot of the either the suspicion or like the assumptions that people have in the industry about prominent women at a time in hip hop that were always linked to a dude. Right. right? Their entry into the game came through a dude. And a lot of time the assumption is, oh, that's the puppet master. Oh, he's writing all the lyrics. Oh, if it wasn't for him, she wouldn't be in the game. Oh, she'll never surpass his level of achievement. Um, but with Trina, it seemed like a lot of that just ain't true. So when you made but, but, that but comment- Trina, but, but, but you understand. A lot of these people are characters. Our rap name, Trina, name is Katrina. <laughs> like, you understand what I'm saying? This is Trina. This ain't her alter ego. This is Trina. Katrina Laverne Taylor. I know her. This is Trina. Now, this is where it started to feel like Trick was trying to dodge the conversation. That's when Sidney asked him, point blank. What has Trina taught you about misogyny, though? I, I don't think I'm misogynistic. I think I'm I'm realistic. She called you misogynistic. I'm realistic. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm realistic. I don't throw. I listen. I I don't. I know what I don't like. A bitch that throw rocks and miss. And then when I throw rock and bust them in the head, now they want to call the police. Oh, he hit me in the head with a rock. We were throwing rocks at each other, officer. You understand what I'm saying? Don't make me out of the bad guy. I'm not the bad guy, but you can turn me into the bad guy. Keep on, keep on doing what you're doing. Keep on not appreciating me. Keep on talking slick like you a nigga. So finally, we found ourselves at the root of it all. Trick may have put Trina on there, but he was still a man who feels passed over by a woman, even if it is his sister. A man who is really tired of having to talk about that woman. Let's get back to your relationship with Trina, right? Your brother-sister relationship, where yeah, she yeah. came. And we got, I got to go. We over an hour, and this whole conversation is about Trina. Okay, so. I thought y'all want to interview me. Y'all asking me everything about Trina. No, like, I mean. This happened every, like, I, I, I understand this. Y'all tricked me, but go ahead. We're going we to ask about three, four more questions, because we over an hour already. Now, for the record, y'all, I swear we did not set out to trick Trick Daddy. His team knew the assignment straight up. And by this point, it was obvious we weren't going to get any deeper with Trick. 
So we wrapped up the conversation. I'm curious, how do you hope to be remembered in terms of your your work and your collaboration with Trina? I like to be remembered as I'm the one that was on the nail, nigga. I am the originator, the creator of the baddest bitch, and that I had a wonderful time. I created the baddest bitch. Well, if you help, if you if I help you get the platform, then then I, I'm your creator. I'm Jesus Christ. So you, you think? <laughs> I'm gone. Okay. Conversation over. I'm Jesus Christ. I created the baddest bitch. And this is the point where Trick, in full-on reality TV mode, stomps out of the living room like he's storming off his set. Yeah, man, dude really walked out on us. I know, but not before getting one last thing off his chest. I like to personally meet Mr. Maurice Young, CEO, President of Eat Booty Game. Dade County Mayor 305, I would like to tell you, if I, any, if, I, if I, any type of way, if you feel offended by anything I say, fuck you. Kiss my whole family ass. Talking to Trick was a lot. If we thought that having this face-to-face would be an opportunity for him to, I don't know, maybe take some accountability for the way he's treated Trina and talked about her over the years, well, nah, we were dead wrong. He wasn't even trying to hide it. <laughs> but you know what? When we talked to Trina, she wasn't phased. She's been dealing with him all her life. Trick is my brother, so of course, we always have back and forth. It, it's, and I'm always gonna come out on top because I'm always correct. And you're misogynistic and I'm always gonna call you out. And you know that. And you could play that game with anybody except me. You didn't make me, you didn't create me. Right, I did a favor for you as my friend, okay? That's what happened. You didn't pay me. I did a favor for a friend that turned out to be a masterpiece, okay? I made me, okay? Um, you gave me the platform to do what I do. I always, I'm always going to give you credit for that. I'm always going to acknowledge you for that. But it took hard work, dedication, writing, learning how to completely write, learning how to form bars. I did Nan for you on one album. I'm six albums later. You did not make me. I did. I worked to make me. I was consistent for all these years. That's what made me. And I had to let him know that. Don't ever try it. Trina does acknowledge that Nan was a big deal, especially in the era when women's careers depended on the power of a man's cosign. Trina broke out of that paradigm. Point blank, period. And Miami's queen of getting freaky on her own terms will serve as the blueprint for the next generation. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your app store today. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. 
There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Grammarly. Change the way you write with Grammarly Go, offering personalized generative AI communication assistance. Grammarly Go helps you ideate, compose, rewrite, and reply thoughtfully. Go to Grammarly.com slash go. How do you feel um, now, 20 years on, that a lot of the blueprints you've set, like your styles, is now more like the center of gravity? Oh, is it now? Yeah. I mean, at some point, at somewhere, hmm, even if the new generation has not had the experience or have went down the same path, it was some form that put them in formation to have that same tenacity, that same bite, that same energy, that same girl dominance, that same pussy power, that same let me talk my talk. I I came with it. It's a it's a family of them now. Do you understand what I'm saying? All you ladies pop your pussy like this. Shake your body, don't stop, don't miss. <laughs> she ain't wrong. From like Kaya to Nikki to Cardi, Megan, City Girls, yeah. Baby Mother, Sukiana, Glorilla, Ice Spice, and more. Trina has no insecurity about her influence. She knows she set the tone. But now the new generation is coming up with totally new ways to talk about blowing checks and having rich sex. And they're not afraid to say when the D doesn't measure up either. That nigga munch, nigga either he ate it for lunch. Bitch on my body, I get what I want. Like you thought I was feeling you. No, I was feeling you. That nigga munch, nigga either he ate it for lunch. Bitch on my body, I get what I want. Like I hear it in all the girls' music today. All the girls, that's how all the new girls. I hear it. Everything they talk about. I'm not the only one. Now we got 50 girls out, right? And talking gays, about the power the of the P, the power of this bad bitch, this bad bitch. Everybody's the baddest bitch. Like it's so. Like, did I create, like, a legacy of this? Because it just is constantly growing. And I can't make this up because when you hear these girls speak, they always bring it up at some form. Bad bitch music, pussy rap, whatever you want to call it. Serving up sex in your bars with your pleasure purely in the center has become more popular than ever. That's the agency of all of it. It's uplifting, empowering, and highlights loving yourself in ways you've historically been told to suppress. Baddest bitch taught the city girls how to hit a big lick. Baby Tate says Trina taught her how to ride. And Off Glass shattered the barrier for Cardi to get even more salacious. And not only are the girls enjoying their sexuality and making money off it, whew, the guys are sick about it. <laughs> but it's true, mostly about female artists. They're cosplaying as rappers. They're nothing but IG models. That's literally getting propelled. Cool. The lyrics is just the same fucking lyric every album. Pussy good, wet, deep, pay for my bag. <laughs> <laughs> like, yo, you going to fuck for you me, pay. Um, like, yeah. it's, it's like strippers rapping. And I don't, I don't, 
as far as rap goes, I don't. I'm and that agonist is making the girls go even harder. And we talked to one artist in this renaissance who feels like she's cut straight from Trina's club. Big Lotto. <laughs> when she came into the studio in L.A. to chop it up with us, she had on this Mariah Carey brown tracksuit and Y2K sunglasses. It was cute. Such a vibe. And after getting settled, we got straight to it. I liked those raw bitches like that. Them, them bitches from the South that was just like, they was like, they was sexual in their lyrics, but they had this like aggressiveness at the same time and masculinity intertwined with that like sexual liberation. So I like those type of females. And Lotta wanted to bring some of that strength to her own music. Listening to her early cuts, she comes through with that same bougie, bossed up bravado. <laughs> Then, when her single Bitch from the South came out, one of her idols took notice. Trina liked the track so much, she hopped on Oh my god. I still, to this day, nobody understands. Because first of all, Trina, I was I was independent when Trina did that. I was independent. Like, she there, she just seen the vision. She believed in me, you know, when, when nobody else did. So I, I forever loved Trina for for that stamp. Like, that, that approval at being an independent artist and coming into the game is, as a grown woman, like, that, her approval meant the world to me especially at the time, but even to this day, like, I love Trina to death. Nobody ever, ever going to speak on Trina ill in, in my way, in my in my presence. Hell no, nah, not going to. I know. I, th- I feel but like... Trina is a legend to us in the South. Like, that's what people don't understand. She's a legend, she, She's a legend to us. Yeah, she's a legend, period. As a mentor, Trina encouraged Lotto not to fear being raw with her bars and unapologetic about letting her music show who she was. You can feel Trina's influence on Lotto's official debut, too. 777, when she built on the baddest bees recipe for success with her own bossed up anthem. Let's talk about, first let's talk about It's Given. Yes. It's Given. Never ever play me like I'm average. Never bring a nigga over where I lay my head. Lady in the streets, put a free call in the bed. Don't make me say it twice, bitch, I said what I said. Two things I don't need, that's a nigga. Period. Why was this important? People. Tell me about the song. It's so important. And people looked, see, that's the shit I'm talking about, where people be so simple-minded and just... It's just short um, attention span because if you if you just want to hear it's giving or just read the damn title and be like ah fucking just fucking Instagram bad bitch music ah I see the comments my ass can't stay out them damn comments <laughs> whatever but um, yeah if you get past it and you and you and you listen to the record with an open mind instead of going into it just they already you know how they do female rap anyways but listen to the record watch the video it's it's so empowering it's so empowering so yeah you know i do my part i don't give a fuck you don't gotta you don't gotta give me my 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 credit whatever i know i do my part yeah but you're saying like how you're saying empowering like i get i bring Mm -hmm. the table to the table nigga why would i need you why would I need you? I say, uh, working nine to five and she trying to finish school. I bring the table to the table, nigga. Why would I need you? 
I'm really talking that shit. Like I'm I'm lifting women up, but you know, people, you know, that, that this stigma with female rap, as soon as they hear pussy or anything just putting down a man, they just ah, 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 they throw it all in the same category. Mm-hmm. Lotto didn't let being labeled a pussy rapper stop her. She made an album that pushed the line even harder. But when it dropped, that wasn't what most people were talking about. Lotto is in the neighborhood, Woo! ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the neighborhood, Queen. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I heard good. that. I'm a little exhausted. Really? They were talking about an interview uh, Lotto did to promote yeah. oh, the album. Why do you say still to this stop. day? Um, you know, you got letdowns. You got, yeah. you know, being a female rapper. Like, I'm clearing my album right now, and it's been, like, difficult to deal with these men, you know what I'm saying? They right. they don't know how to keep it business and then they want to like What do you mean by that? So like I don't care like baby, I'm just keeping 100. It's a feature on my album um that it was like it was difficult to clear and they like trying to drop their nuts on me <gasps> because I won't respond to a, a DM. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is it a Mm-mm. and without saying the name, huh. but is it artist or producer or somebody artist. Pu- Oh, wow. Artist, yeah. And they'll still be on the album? Yeah, just because I love the song so much and I had to turn it in yesterday, so I didn't really have a choice. So I was like backed into a corner like bully. But I wish more females would speak up on stuff. I know like the labeling and stuff, they say, you know, don't do not do that bad business, whatever. Man, these folks be trying to drop yeah. nuts on female rappers. Then, like, I'm yeah. not going to shut up about that. Awesome. And when Lotto says drop nuts, she means it literally. A big name collaborator who went unnamed in Lotto's interview tried to charge her way more than a monetary fee for his feature verse. So that was what was on my mind when I did that interview. Um, mm-hmm. They asked me how is the process been, and that's that's what was on my mind that morning because I just had to make an executive decision to leave something that I did not want to be on there, um, and and just you know like <laughs> yeah. Even though she didn't say no names, speculation ran wild online, and one rapper who was featured on Lotto's album and his crew started taking shots at her. And things just kind of spun out of control a little bit. Honestly, that's that's not even the half of what I've dealt with in this industry. That's that that is some fuck shit, but it's not the half of what I dealt with in the industry. So I was also just blindsided by people's reaction to it because I'm like, oh, y'all really don't know what the fuck be going on behind closed doors with female rappers. Like that's really not shocking to be honest. Right, tip of the iceberg. With the, yeah, that's the tip of the iceberg. Like, a lot of the times, people don't know what they're proposing us to do in exchange for these features. They be bullying female rappers behind closed doors. They be damn near bullying us. Like, half the time, these niggas don't be interested in doing no song with us if it don't come with no pussy. But people online didn't see it that way. They accused Lotto of lying, clout chasing, and doing the most. That reaction kind of soured the album release. I think your honesty in that moment and your um mm-hmm. it was it was so important because it did kind of even though it is like I I believe it is very much the tip of the iceberg it opened up a mm-hmm. whole conversation of mm-hmm. of what you deal with what being a yeah. woman in this industry as a black woman period right like what yeah. we deal with and and I think it it opened up more conversations about the inherent misogyny that still is allowed to operate in this oh my space. God. I'm appreciative for the way things are shifting for female rappers, but people they still don't know. Y'all see all these thriving female rappers. That's beautiful. But I know so many of them have stories like mine, similar to mine, maybe even worse than mine. That's the thing about exercising your sexual agency. 
in an inherently sexist world. One thing you can't control is how people will or won't respect it. As more artists enter the game and follow in Trina's footsteps, the girly sexual expression is used against them to justify men's aggression. And on top of that, nobody calls them out on it. We need the men. We need them to, you know, speak out and call these niggas out when they do some lame shit. Yeah, that might be your partner. Y'all might be from the same hood. Y'all might got a mixtape together or a feature or whatever, but we need them to speak up for us and call them out on their shit because the shit these niggas be doing and getting away with publicly and nobody speaks up, that shit is, that's foul. You know what I'm saying? So we all have to be on one page and work together to to rewrite that. But To rewrite it. Yup, yup. Yeah. One person who knows this better than anyone is the Diamond Princess herself. There are people, speaking of Lotta really fast, that were trying to bring her down with this latest record, getting clearance for that. What are your thoughts when you heard that, and have you experienced any issues with male rappers trying to do other things and not keep it professional with you? Um, I honestly, I was really, I, I'm me personally, I was really happy that she said that. Mm-hmm. Because that happened to me a lot. Wow. A lot. And I, I got six albums. Mm. So it's happened to me before. Me just being, I'm, a G, I'm an OG. I'm always keep it gangster. I'm always pushing P to the fullest. Yes. So you never name calling, you never name dropping. But as a woman in this business, there are some guys that will try to hold you and suffocate you and not let you go up, put that record through because you didn't answer a DM. You didn't mm. answer, somebody gave you a number, you didn't write back on a text, you didn't respond in a Twitter. Mm-hmm. I've been in that situation. I had to push through. I've been hurt in that situation with some of y'all. Like, that's why I'm not opposed. Trina to also reached out privately to Lotto to give her some advice. She told her, Just be you. Don't let people silence you and stand in your truth. and stand. Yeah, literally stand in your truth. Just... You know, don't let the people intimidate you from your experiences. This is shit that you experience. No one can invalidate that. That advice that Trina gave Lotto, it ain't just for Lotto. It's for every person Trina's outspoken rawness inspired. It's for the whole movement of bad bees who found power through talking that talk. Men can't invalidate them. And men definitely can't invalidate that power. Because of Trina... How women can show up on mic has completely changed. But Lotto's backlash proves progress and perfection. If anything, it shows why the world needs bad bitches more than ever. I feel like the baddest bitch is just like a strong, confident woman. It's not about looks. It's about strength. It's about intuition. It's about determination, focus. Some of these situations we be in as black women, we're not protected. We out here by ourselves fighting a race of just trying to, you know, have people respect us. You have to be firm and strong. If it's something that's bothering you, something that's not making you in this industry, speak up about it. doesn't matter who feel like they can cancel you, talk trash about you. None of that matters. Unless you are not living and breathing, none of that matters. Nobody can stop What's inside you? Nobody can stop your determination. Nobody can stop your drive. Nobody can stop your hustle. Nobody can stop you from walking through that door if you don't want to be stopped. Only thing can stop you is you. But what happens when you do speak up and call out kingmakers in hip-hop journalism? And she said, girl, they will tear you down by the pussy hairs in this business. (laughs) The Source Magazine's former editor-in-chief. Kim Osario takes us through rule number five. That's next time on Louder Than a Riot.
Louder Than a Riot is hosted by me, Sydney Madden and Rodney Carmichael. This episode was written by myself, Rodney, and Gabby Bulgarelli. And it was produced by our senior producer, Gabby Bulgarelli. Our producers are Sam J. Leeds and Mano Sundaresan. Our editor is Saraya Shockley. Our engineer is Gilly Moon. Our senior supervising producer is Cher Benson. Our interns are Jose Sandoval, Teresa Shea, and Pilar Galvan. And the NPR execs are Keith Jenkins, Yolanda Sangueni, and Anya Grenman. Original theme by Casa Overall, remixed by Suzy Analog. And the scoring for this episode was provided by Suzy Analog and Casa Overall. Our digital editor is Jacob Gans. Our fact checker is Cecile Davis Vasquez. Like and subscribe to us, y'all. And if you like this episode and you want to talk back, hit us up on Twitter. We're at Louder Than a Riot. And if you want to email us, we're at louder at npr.org. I'm Sydney Madden. I'm Rodney Carmichael. And from NPR Music, this is Louder Than a Riot. You're behind a keyboard. I don't know you, baby. I don't know what your problem is. I don't know if you ate or your rent is paid. I'm good. I don't have time. Enjoy your day. Be blessed. And that's just how it is. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, custom tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top 10 commercial bank, a dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Humans are kind of overrated. Over on Shortwave, a science podcast, we're only kind of kidding. We're bringing you the wondrous world of animal science to your daily life. From queer animal love stories to songbird memories, we're showing you how critter knowledge informs human science. Listen now to Shortwave, a podcast from NPR.